Welcome to Museums in Strange Places. I'm your host, Hannah Hethman, and this is a podcast for people who love museums, stories, culture, and exploring the world. This year, I'm living in Iceland, and in each episode, I visit a different Icelandic museum to discover what stories they hold and how they reflect and shape Iceland's unique cultural identity. If you've ever flown into or through Iceland, you landed just across the street from the town of Keflavik. In 1940, the American Armed Forces built an airport and base in Keflavik. The base was active until 2006 and housed about 5,000 Americans at its height. If you visited Iceland, you probably didn't stop in Keflavik because, if we're being honest, it's a pretty average looking place. But when I took the half-hour-long bus ride from Reykjavik to visit Keflavik a few weeks ago, I wasn't going for the town's looks. I wanted to learn more about its history as Iceland's capital of rock and roll. And what better place to do that than Roxat Islands, the Icelandic Museum of Rock and Roll. Well, my, my favorite like, uh, like memorabilia in the museum is, is the drum set. Um, from Gunnar Jökull, this one here. It's it's not just a very beautiful drum kit. Um, it has a very it's like champagne sparkling, you know, very cool Ludwig uh, Ludwig drum set. But it has a very interesting story. It was used on the record called Leven, which is like if you look at any books about Icelandic music, it's usually like number two as the <laughs> best record of all time in Iceland. You'll usually see Aukitis Birjun by Sigurós number one. But you will always see this album number two. And this is the actual drum set used on that album. It was recorded in London in 71. And he actually took the drum kit with him to London, which was very unusual at that time because you would simply at that time use the drum kit that was in the studio, simply get some drums, lend it from somebody. But no, he had to have his drum set. He had to have his snare drum. He had to have all his own stuff there. And he took it to London in 71, and, but he came back to Iceland and he got all kinds of offers to play with bands like The Sin, which turned into a band called Yes. And he was like really popular guy and he was a very good drummer. Um, but he was like, no, I'm going to quit this. I'm not drumming anymore. And he sold the drum kit to some guy in Iceland and he, he sent it like across the country with, you know, like let's say, you know, uh, DHL or something. 
But when the bill came for it, he couldn't pay it. So it was auctioned off. Uh, so it was just some guy who bought it. And it was found 30 years later at a farm in Hrútafjörður in Iceland. Um, and they, they realized that, that no, that's the set that, you know, it's Gunnar Sjögul's drum set, you know. My name is Thomas Young, and I am the managing director of the Icelandic Museum of Rock and Roll, and also of Hljómahöll, which is the venue that is next to it. A quick overview of the museum. It's four years old, almost now, and it has a bit of a history. It was opened up first in 1997 as an exhibition, kind of like a hard rock style exhibition in a restaurant here in Keflavik. It was... Uh, the rest it was there for I think three or four years before the restaurant uh, went bankrupt, and the town or the local authorities they kept all the memorabilia, the texts, all the uh, the manuscripts for the exhibition. Um, but then the local authorities took it over and they put it up twice in two thousand and five and then two thousand seven at both times as an exhibition. In the meanwhile. There was a music school here in Keflavik uh, and Njarvik who had been joined in the music school of Reykjanesbær. Um, they were both in old housing that was leaking and they needed a new house. And there's a venue here in Keflavik, which is, which is next door, called Stapi, which is um, a legendary venue where bands like Hljómar and Trúbrot and Old Men and all these guys played back in the 60s and 70s. So the uh, the idea that the local authorities got was that, okay, the new music schools, they, new, they need new housing, and we have this big venue that needs renovating. Why not join them together and make like a musical center of the middle of town? But also give this uh, rock and roll exhibition that had been taken you know out of boxes and into boxes for three times then, give it a permanent home. So that was the basic idea that was born somewhere around 2004 or five. that it, you, you would make this huge musical center in a town that has now more than, what, fifteen or 16,000 people, but it would be a music school, it would be this legendary venue called Stapi and the Icelandic Museum of Rock and Roll. And then they went ahead and they started building, you know, the extension to Stapi, which, was, which houses the music school and the museum. And it was um, because of the uh, bank collapse uh, in 2008. I think it was there was nothing happening here for three or four years. But they had they had still made you know they had the concrete was here, but there was nothing else here. It was like completely bare. But in 2012 they started rebuilding it, and it opened up in April 2014. Tell me why why Keflavik? Like why is this uh, town? Uh, I mean, it has the recording hall. You spoke about that, but. Why is why should all this stuff belong here in Keplavik other than the happenstance? Well, it doesn't really belong in Keplavik. I mean, it it's um, it's just that the history Keplavik has a long history when it comes to rock and roll music. Um, there was this band called Hljómar, which was like the Icelandic version of the Beatles, and they were from Keplavik. They they come there's obviously the connection to the the american nato base that was here and a lot of this like the history has direct connections with the american nato base because it was very close obviously it's only like five or six kilometers away um when the americans had 
American radio, you could you could receive it down yeah. here at Keflavik when you couldn't in Reykjavik, and you had American television, but you also had the people. So, um, like the, the way I heard the story was like if there was a famous um, jazz a jazz drummer coming through that was maybe playing uh, at some ballroom up on base. Um, they he would maybe come down to Keflavik, meet the musicians, teach them. Oh, this is the new beat that is going on now, and they would be like, you know, the new rock stars in Iceland because they knew all the new beats and the new music that was going on. While Reykjavik was a little bit, you know, on the outside because there was this proximity to the base. Anyway, so Keflavik, uh, the basic to make a long story short is that there's a bit of like a rock and roll history here. Because of, yeah, it's sometimes mentioned as the Beatle town of Iceland because of this band called Hljómar. But really, the the reason for why it's here is it was a private initiative to make the first exhibition. And it's a, you know, initiative that the local authorities decided on their own to, to take. Like, let's do this exhibition. Um, let's make it into another exhibition. Like, when I started here, it, they were still talking about the, it was called Pop Minjasat Islands. Um which is like the pop memorabilia collection of Iceland. But when we started working here, who were working here today, we were like, no, we need a bigger name. And it's to, because rock and pop in Icelandic doesn't really, it doesn't have the same meaning in Icelandic. It's rock can be pop as well. Okay. You know, like Hjómar, they are, you will not, they are not Metallica, but they're obviously still rock and roll. And, you know, there's, it's quite wider in the Icelandic sense. So we, anyway, we wanted to make something, we'll make, make the name bigger. We'll say the Icelandic Museum of Rock and Roll. And thereby have the Icelandic Museum of Rock and Roll in Keflavik. <laughs> and why it's not in Reykjavik is probably because nobody had done it there. Yeah. That's the short answer. So, so speaking about that kind of wider scope and, and yeah. the bigger meaning of the word rock, which I didn't know, yeah. so that's a new one for me. I was kind of wondering as I went through, you know, where's that kind of, I mean, it starts, you start, um, the exhibition starts in the, in the 1800s, you know, of course, far back at the very early beginnings of uh, mm-hmm. popular and recorded music in Iceland and then goes all the way up to 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and it goes in turn, it goes in a, um, a timeline exhibition mm-hmm. with highlights on specific singers or bands that yep. were very popular. Mm-hmm. So why the decision to kind of work in a timeline versus by genre or mm-hmm. by whatever? Um, I think, well, I can't speak for the one Jonathan Karlsson who wrote the manuscript, but um, I think they because i was only hired here like four or five months before it opened so i had very little to say about the outcome that came in 2014 but i think that the reason for why it's a timeline is because that way you can cover almost the entire uh, scope of the, the history of icelandic music while while you're speaking in genres it's kind of hard to maybe cover everything i think it's, it's a dangerous zone. It's a dangerous place to go with thin ice to try to cover the Icelandic music, uh, you know, the history of Icelandic rock music. It's um, who is going to be highlighted and who is not going to be highlighted, who is going to be in the exhibition, who is not going to be in the exhibition, which is, which was a huge, like, thing for those who were writing it. They, they were kind of trying to tick all the boxes, you know, yeah. to have a lot of people um, mention all the names. And, I have said it before in interviews that, you know, the way that um, they tried this, one way was behind one of the walls that is now a Björgen Haldorsen exhibition. There's a huge wall that was a glass wall before, which, you know, you could see over into the music school and they could see over to the museum. It now has posters by Björgen Haldorsen. But on that glass wall, 
there is uh, there are printed 3,900 Icelandic band names. Talk about a way to try to have everybody happy. You know, yeah. so you put 3,900 bands. Imagine how many people are behind those 3,900 bands. Like if there are three or yeah. five people in every band. That's a lot of people that are going to be happy that their band is in the museum. But only like by one mention. But it still it ticks the box, you know. Yeah, so why the decision to cover it up? Oh, because we added the... Yeah, that's what I was going to say before is that in when it opened in 2014, the only thing that was here was... The, it was a beautiful museum, but it was only the Icelandic Museum of Rock and Roll. It covered the Icelandic history of rock and pop music. Later on, we we kind of you know thought you know how are we going to get the Icelanders to re- revisit us? Like how should, how can we get them to come again? And sometime in that uh, phase where we were thinking about that, we met Potloskar. But which he was actually on the other side of this wall doing a dance for the eighth, ninth, and tenth grade of the people of the kids in town, and we had just opened the museum, and I was I had never met him before. I said, "Hey, you know, do you want to come and see the new museum? We have a huge, you know, big ass picture of you." <laughs> and he is he he was you know delighted to see that we were not it was not just rock and roll music. He's obviously Iceland's biggest pop star. And he was very, he was, you know, he liked the museum. And, and I said to him, you know, we don't have a lot of memorabilia from, you know, the history of music, Icelandic music. And uh, do you have anything? And little did I know, you know, what he had kept. Mm-hmm. He had kept everything from wow. his career. Like we're talking about uh, every piece of clothing that had been sewed on him. Um, he had two full suitcases, probably like 30, 40 kilos of drawings that he made as a kid. We only have like six yeah. on show now. But to make a long story short, like I went to his house twice to fill it up with clothes. I went with him like on a cargo van that we had to rent to empty a storage yeah. facility. And he basically handed everything to us except his uh, Christmas ornaments. Wow. Yeah. He had he had kept everything, like newspaper articles. Like there was a huge box. Like, yeah, this is 1997, 1998. You know, he had, like huge boxes of each year that he had been singing as a musician. And he had kept everything. Like every award, every gold record, you know. And anyway, we got all this stuff and we were like, great. Let's do uh, a special exhibition just about you. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll add it onto the Icelandic Museum of Rock and Roll. So we'll have two exhibitions. And now... Three or four years later, we made an exhibition about the second craziest collector in the music business called Björgen Halldorsson. Like, Pátlóskar might be the craziest, but he is number two. (laughs) And um, we made an exhibition about him. And that's why it was a part of his exhibition that that we we had to close off that wall to the music school because there had to be a wall with all the posters that had, you know, come along with all the concerts that he had done through the years. I, I love that Paul uh, Paul Oscar exhibit. I mean, he he has he has the sparkliest outfits, and I I, um, I want to say like appreciate him in a robust way, but I just I love his sparkly outfits and his just general sparkliness as a as a human being, and yeah. so uh, I feel like you couldn't get a better set of costumes to display. No. I mean, of all the Icelandic singers, right? Is there anyone who has a no. better set of costuming no. from the beginning? You have some of his drag outfits. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. No, his collection is uh, beautiful, and he has so much stuff to that we could, you know, pick from to put on and show. And not just that, it was, I mean, the attention that the museum got when it opened was, you know, it was quite a lot. But when we opened up an exhibition about Pátlóskar, everybody knew about the Icelandic Museum of Rock and Roll, because six-year-olds, they love him, 
96-year-olds love him. Everybody in between loves him. I mean, he has done... He's a pop star. He has also done things like Patloska and Monica, which is like a harmonica kind of like classic thing. He has been in a band called uh, Million America, which is like a bossa nova, some kind of band. He has the gay scene. He has the drag scene. Everybody, all the scenes love Patloska. <laughs> so everybody, we had like 20,000 Icelanders come here in 2015. Wow. Which was uh, four or five times as much as the year before when we opened. He is really popular and he was a really good move to have as the first artist to have a special exhibition about. Speaking of your audience, mm-hmm. uh, who, who visits the museums? I assume you get both a lot of locals just because it has a strong connection mm-hmm. to everyone. Everyone's name is on the wall. Yep. And uh, But also because you're, again, you said four or five kilometers from the airport yep. um, where everyone comes into yep. Iceland. Yep. Uh, the first two years, especially 2014 and 2015, when we had the Potloskar exhibition, down on the first floor, on the ground floor. That's It was a bit bigger when it was there. Um, we had 80% Icelanders wow. and 20% international guests. But in 2016 and 17, it has completely taken a 180. It wow. has turned exactly the other way around. And today we get 80% uh, international guests and 20% Icelanders. So is that because there are so there are many more, more international? Yes. The, 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 like, it's just been crazy how much it has been um, so it's not less locals it's not less icelanders it's it's a bit less icelanders but it has gone like you know if when i look at the my actual you know (laughs) graph it it kind of goes in a cross icelanders have been like dwindling down while international guests have been going up why we can go into that you know it's probably because patloskar was like a really you know a lot of people tick the box like i've been now to the icelandic museum of rock and roll we had twenty thousand. You know, music lovers come to the museum. Björgen Haldorsson is great and he has a big audience, but he does not have the same fan base as Patloskar. And then with international guests, that's obviously just the tourism boom. But I would I also like to take, you know, a bit of the credit, you know, for ourselves. We have been doing better marketing. We have been, you know, advertising using Google ads and Facebook ads. We've been, you know, advertising in, you know, on the airplanes like Wow yeah, Air and, <laughs> and the Icelandic, uh, on the Iceland Air airplanes. And because it's, that's the kind of, that was something uh, that this town needed. Yeah. And back in 2001, whatever, 2014 when it opened, is we are the town next to the airport. And we get a lot of international guests because of that. But there's no real attraction not even a man-made attraction for international guests to visit Keflavik. Like yeah. They kind of need a re- reason to maybe visit Kveragerði or they need a reason to visit the area around Grindavik and go to the Blue Lagoon or whatever. The, this town lacked, uh, it was lacking an attraction. And now we have it. You know, mm-hmm. We have a museum about Icelandic music. A lot of people connect Iceland to music, yeah. whether it's Sigurós or Björk or Olavur Arnalds or of Monsters Men or Kaleo or whatever. There's a huge connection there between Iceland and music and especially with the international guests. They, a lot of them, you know, they know more about Icelandic music than I do. Like, it's crazy. Like, there's, there are so many Icelandic music fans out there. Present. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's like, that was the kind of idea, was to attract more international guests. We have the restaurants, we have the hotels, but you always need something more. Now yeah. everybody's competing or, you know, you need to have something. Why should anybody stop in Borganes? You know, whatever, you know, maybe because just because it's it's not in the way. We are not in the way when you're going to the airport. You're kind of the town that you drive by. 
just before you get to the airport. So you need a reason to stop by. And I think the local authorities, yeah, they knew that. So they decided to, you know, invest money into culture and hopefully tourism. So, and so it sounds like it's it's paying off in, in that regard here. Yeah. It, it's a beautiful exhibit. I mean, I've been to been to a lot of museums in Iceland and the, the just the quality of the exhibit here it's it's absolutely beautiful yeah, like it's really well done and yeah. it it feels like a, a world-class attraction and it's interesting to me you know coming from a history background that's mm-hmm. the first thing I do when I go somewhere is I want to go to the history museum and I want to get a timeline yeah. <laughs> I want to get a chronological overview I don't care how I'm presented but I want a chronology of the place so that I can mm-hmm. understand everything that I experience and kind of put it into that context and I I mean, the National Museum is is wonderful and I love it, Mm -hmm. but they kind of really, it goes really fast after like 1800. You know, there's one room and 1970 and and above is is one space. It's a conveyor belt with some stuff on it. I find myself kind of grasping for that more contemporary history. And so walking through this exhibit, um, I spent a whole hour and I I would have spent twice as long if we hadn't had this meeting. I feel like I was able to get a really good overview of of modern Icelandic history through the music, you know, mm-hmm. because you see the styles changing, you see what's available to people in terms of records and recording instruments. And yeah. it's, it's, I think this is filling a kind of gap that, that is not just about music, but about history as mm-hmm. well in general, modern yeah. history of Iceland. So do you guys have a, an educational component here? No, but we do, however, because we are owned where well, the museum is built and run by the local authorities we allow all children, kindergarten or, you know, school children, 16 years older and younger, free admission. They don't have to pay. And that's kind of our way to say, you know, please feel free to jump in anytime. Yeah. Read as much as you want. Come and try the instruments in the sound lab, you know, sit down in the muse- in the cinema. And if you want to sit there for seven hours a day, watch you know, movies, go ahead. That's something I actually want to touch on was uh, once you get to the end of the exhibit, there are a lot of fun stuff to play with. Yes. Uh, so the inner kid in me was really excited. There is a, a sound mixing board. Yes. I never got in touch one of those. So you get to sit down there and play with all the um, knobs and tabs and buttons and all the tracks. Yeah. All the tracks. Yes. <laughs> That's my to... expert uh, Langlo here. Yeah. And uh, you've got a karaoke booth. Yeah. A uh, electric drum set where you can put your headphones in and, and play along. And I saw there was a kid, I think an American kid just like going at it, having yeah. a blast while his parents were in the recording studio yeah. um, uh, doing the karaoke and tons of opportunities to listen to music, yeah. uh, which brings me to the app. The iPad app. Yeah. yeah. So would you talk about that? Yeah. Because I, I had a lot of fun with that. Yeah. We, when we, uh, when the first uh, ideas, when, we, when they was about to finish the museum, they had this um, idea that they just want to have music, you know, in the loudspeakers, you know, wherever you were walking, it would be the same music. And it was a question of doing an audio guide, which is always um, kind of a risky business because then you have like this single voice narrating you through mm. something. But this was an idea that came, you know, surfaced sometime just before we opened to have uh, an iPad that comes along with the admission that you could just simply listen to the music that you were reading about. So um, it en- enables you, it has like a little bit more, I don't know if you noticed it, but on some of the pages, it has a little bit more information that is on up on the wall. So it, that's like our opportunity to, like, let's say, like Seguros, there's like three or four paragraphs up on the wall. There you could put all kinds of extra stuff, like more photos, more biography about them and so on. 
basic idea was that people could, you know, stand in front of the Seguros six meter high pitch and listen to Seguros because we don't know who has listened, you know, heard what before they came yeah. here. So if you're standing in front of the Emiliana Torini suit that you could listen to Jungle Drum, that's, you know, the dress that she was wearing in the video. And that's the one spot I really did stand there and watch the whole video yeah. with the thing up. I took my Snapchat of, yeah. of me watching the video, watching the dress. With the dress, yeah. Every time I go to almost any museum, mm-hmm. my like the thing I tweet afterwards is only complaint. Wish there was a soundtrack pre-programmed yeah. for me to listen to while I'm in there. You know, I've been to like I've been to like one medieval church in uh, Berlin, and you could sit up in the top and listen to church music oh. throughout the history of the church. And but every time I go to a history museum or uh, even an art museum with older art, I want to listen to like I want a soundtrack mm-hmm. that helps me like feel that outside of just like on a wall and so when i came in and i got the app i was really excited because of course when you're reading these Mm -hmm. yes i know a lot of these artists but even but the ones i didn't i want to know like when i'm reading about it i want i want to understand and so i played Mm -hmm. along a few and then you know when we're getting to the end and it's more artists that i even more artists that i knew Mm -hmm. and you know it gets to the paul oscar section i'm like I haven't listened to Paul Oscar in two days. I gotta like, I gotta put that on. And like, I just want to like, you want to enjoy it. And so you at instantly in that moment, you have the kind of video there. But there are so many different ways uh, to do a museum, like you yeah. say. And this was one of the, I want to say that was like decided quite quickly. And um, we had to have something like mm-hmm. somebody wanted to do the audio guide. I wasn't very keen on it because first of all, it's very expensive. Mm-hmm. And are you going to do it in Icelandic? Are you going mm. to do it in Icelandic and English? Or are you going to do it in five different languages and it's going to cost you a bunch and the audio guides are expensive. Like, they are twice more, twice as more expensive than iPads. So, we, this was like a th- the way that we came up with that we, you know, and people, it was going to be a pretty impressive, you know, instead of getting an audio guide like where you get everywhere, you would actually get a handed an iPad um, with graphics, with, you know, because everybody knows how to handle an iPad. Yeah. So that was kind of a big thing. Yeah, it was pretty intuitive. And it's like, it's just you swipe like it's a book and um, it's kind of nice. But we have also realized that there are so many ways to um, to exhibit something like this that is so huge and has so many, like you said before, like, are you going to do it in a timeline? Are you going to do the genres? Are you going to do the decades? Are you going to do bands? Are you going to do albums? Are you going to, where are you, where are you going to like do this? Like we have ideas to move forward from the timeline which is like a little bit more interactive. So instead of having it printed up on the walls, text and people are walking along walls with an iPad, that people could actually stand on one spot and somehow interactively, you know, do something small with their hands and change something big, like on a big screen in front Mm. of them. Um, That way the timeline would become more compact and but also be like a more of an experience. And I've personally now visited museums that have gone into this direction. For example, the EMP Museum in Seattle, um, which exhibits the Nirvana exhibition and Jimi Hendrix, both being artists from Seattle. I've now been to the Danish Museum of Rock and Roll called Ragnarok. I've been to Trondheim Museum, uh, which is a rock museum, and the Swedish Music Hall of Fame, which also has an Abbey Museum. And the direction, or well, a lot of these museums are going into the direction of making everything more interactive. We thought we were doing a good job, like with the, uh, like you said, the mixing board, uh, the the drum, you know, the instruments and the karaoke booth. But we want to do more. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of way 
to move ahead. You know, I'm not I'm not making the museum as it is to any less. I'm just saying we're no, lo- no, we're yeah. looking forward. Um, and we have been in talks with a company about interactive additions to the museum, which will only make it better. You know, yeah. it, it won't we won't change out you know any huge things, but you know we want to make it more interactive. So it's more of an experience. Even though a lot of people are happy about the way that it's portrayed, we would like to add like a more like a wow factor. Not that we want to turn it into you know Disneyland or no, Universal no, or anything, but we want to make a we want to impress a little bit more. You gotta, I mean, you gotta keep moving and growing. Otherwise, again, you'll 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 have that continuing declining number of of because, locals because they've seen that they've done it. Yeah, we want to you know exactly have a, a reason for them to come back and see it because there's a lot of interesting technology coming out now. Yeah, like well, of course we won't. It, be able to add it all to the museum but there's so many interesting <laughs> things going on like with the the new apple you know technology i'm not really i can't really remember the name of it now but um you know how you can see characters playing on a table yeah yeah um, um augmented reality yeah augmented reality uh, like you have Pokemon Go, that kind of stuff yeah you have the uh 360 degrees like virtual reality going on and now they've gone you know, huge step forward with the Microsoft HoloLens. Have you seen that? No. That's coming out. That is some freaky stuff. It's basically a virtual reality glasses, but it's um, it has actual glass, so it's um, it's virtual reality blended with reality. But if you think about it in the museum sense or in the sense of using it in reality, so they think that these glasses, these HoloLens glasses, are going to be something that you know we're going to be using in a few years. So instead of having a television up on the wall that is expensive you will simply watch the uh, video through the glasses yeah but also in the museum sense that if you walk up to the drum set of Gunnar Jukat who used to play in Truprot it won't be printed text it won't be a screen you know there will actually be floating text above it maybe with a video of Gunnar Jukat yeah. drumming with Truprot you know 40 years ago uh, but you could walk around the drum set and get all this information without it being stuck to a screen it's very interesting <laughs> you know, kind of, you can't be a, a a rock and roll museum and and not be uh, a little edgy and progressive nah. and try the latest things and push the envelope a little, right? Yeah. We've been looking a little bit, you know, into <laughs> what we can do. But I, I mean, this is like the Microsoft Hololens, which I was yeah. mentioning. You know, it's still in like development. So that's you know, the, that's the fifteen year renovation. <laughs> yeah, like, like in fifteen years, we'll have the Microsoft Hololens as a as as instead of the iPads. When you have like, the of Monsters and Men retrospective. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> when they're, when they're finished. <laughs> Honey, babe, don't be late. Apart from crazy, all I see is face. Yeah, I'm wondering where we should start. Oh, uh, what's your I, What's your I, favorite part? Well, my my favorite like uh, like memorabilia in the museum is is the drum set um, from Gunnar Jukut. This one here, it's, it's you know it's the only famous drum set in Iceland. Like you have Sigtryggur playing in the Sugar Cubes. He sold every piece of drum you know here and there. Yeah. You know, there's no there's no really another there's not another famous drum set in Iceland. But this one is not. So it's very beautiful to see. But it also was like kind of lost for 30 years. Yeah. So, and now it's surfaced and we've, we've got it now here. That's a great found item store. You also <laughs> have like, um, even just a bit earlier, I really loved the uh, Ellie Wilhelm's dress. The dress, yeah. And so it, the story is the woman who uh, just, she's in the, 
in the second hand shop and the girls yeah, are all excited because yeah, the they've got yeah. yeah in the thrift store and she's got all these uh clothes coming in from Ellie Williams who's like yeah. I mean she's she's a big deal in Icelandic history and music and so she just like bought this dress and kept it until yeah. found a right home and that's just, just so like that it just like ended up at the thrift store yeah, with all I her stuff I can't remember what it says on the sign but it was because that her husband at the time he was so heartbroken, he couldn't even, you know, touch the stuff that she had. Oh, wow. So he got rid of everything that Ellie Williams had and gave it to that store in Hapnafjörde, like the nuns in Hapnafjörde that had a thrift store. And apparently there were like, you know, 20 dresses on the, you know, in the shop. And she just chose one. But that was, that was the story that he was so heartbroken that he couldn't even, you know, set eyes on her clothes or anything. It's kind of sad that, you know, to give away the items of such a legacy. Yeah. Here's the most uh, expensive or most valued uh, memorabilia in the museum. It's um, a very small uh, 45 of... A, it, the album is called Umparupampa. This is a ridiculous name. <laughs> but it's, about, it's, a rec it's like a collector's issue of uh, this little... They made a movie called Umparupampa, and this is like the music from that movie. But somehow, some way, it got to be like this collector's item. And one record in 2014 sold for over three thousand dollars. Um, for that, you know. Yeah. So some, it, it somehow got into. Uh, it was, yeah. Somehow turned into a collector's item, and it's a really valuable record. So, and a lot of people are like still finding it, like in their attic or in the basement. <laughs> like, hey, I have a copy of it. <laughs> hey, you're rich. As maybe maybe museum inspire a few people to go. Uh, dig around in their farms and their attics, see if they have any famous drum sets or expensive yeah, albums. Exactly. Of the memorabilia, I mean, that's the, those are my favorites. Yeah. Um, we obviously have all the outfits from Potloskar, you know, <laughs> and the lead, the lead outfit is very good. Yeah, uh, I got, that's the one I got someone to take a picture of me with the, yeah. with the shiny Potloskar outfit. Yeah. I, I love the sound lab like I have I have kids and you know I think it's important that when you come to a museum it's not just about listening or reading it's also about trying and like getting a bit of more insight insight like you said that like you've yeah. never tried the mixing board yeah. like it's a very I think very you know important to have it a bit interactive so there's a lot of people that have never laid their hands on a, a guitar before yes. and so it's if they can do it here that's great but yeah, I love the sound lab. I love the fact you can come here, sing a song, have it sent to you on email, or you know you can share it with the world. Yeah. If you wanna go there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but obviously Björgvin's uh, the the latest uh, special exhibition is about Björgvin, and this must be the most beautiful set of guitars that I've ever seen. Yeah, it's pretty spectacular. I love this um this one with the folk designs on it. Yeah, the flowers. Yeah, yeah it's very good. Uh, it's very impressive actually. He actually said, you know, first he was like, yeah, we're going to lend you 10 or 12 guitars, you know, for the exhibition. But then when he saw it, he was like, nah, I have more, I have more. But then he still, you know, he emphasized that it's a part of Björgvin's guitar collection. There are actually 38 uh, guitars in this cabinet. Do you know how much, how many he has total? I think there are over 50. Wow. So we have quite a bit of them here. Yeah. yeah it's a really wide range of different time periods. It's fun. It's a nice presentation too. And I mean, all oh, this whole area here, you can listen. There's so many opportunities to just sit and listen and like take your time and stop and not rush around. If you're gonna read everything, if you're gonna watch all the videos and all the media, 
you'll be here all day. <laughs> uh, but that's, that was the idea that, you know, there'll be plenty to choose from. Yeah. That you cannot just finish the museum, you know, in 45 minutes. It makes sense to I me, mean, especially if, if you're someone who's coming all the way to Keplervik for yeah. just to see this, as, as I did today yeah. on an hour bus ride from the city. Uh, but it was worth it, yeah. so. Cool. Yeah. Then behind the Off Monsters and Men here, we have a little cinema where we run documentaries about Icelandic museum all day. So we have, for example, Heima with Seuros, we have Rock in Reykjavik, Pop in Reykjavik, which not a lot of people have seen. Uh, we have a movie called Screaming Masterpiece. But it, it, this is my favorite room of the whole house. Oh, this is cool. Yeah. Oh, this is fun. Yeah. yeah. People can sit here all day if they like. Yeah, I might use this to wait for my bus. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, but we have a lot of musicians come through as we are not just a museum. Yeah. We also, we're also a concert venue. So a lot of the artists, uh, they come through here. So we have them write their, you know, the name on the wall. Yeah. So That's we've had a lot of people stop by, obviously. <laughs> Thanks for joining me on this adventure as I explore Iceland's many museums and get to know the fascinating people who run them. Music in this episode is by Unius Mayvant, an Icelandic singer-songwriter whose debut album, Floating Harmonies, is my current musical obsession. You can see photos of the museum, listen to music from the bands mentioned in the episode, get my top Icelandic music recommendations, and find more of Unius Mayvant's music on my website, hethman.com. That's H-H-E-T-H-M-O-N.com. If you liked this episode, please take a minute to review the podcast on iTunes or send me a tweet at Hannah underscore RFH. Reviews and social media shares help people with great taste like you discover the Museums and Strange Places podcast.